Israel just had some conversations about what could we kick off this year with. And I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that on our sign, our beautiful sign that we have out on the corner, it says radically transform lives. And I think it's important for us to understand why that's a part of our, our mission, why it's a part of the vision of the church, and what does that really mean. So we're going to take the next three weeks, we're going to break that, that small phrase up, talk about a radical, talking about being transformed and about living this life that we live for Christ. And today, um, I want to start this series that's called God Did It. Everybody say God Did It. He did it. He is the reason. That's what we're thankful for. God did it. And, and so today I want to talk about the radical pursuit of God. The radical pursuit of God. The word radical came to us um, back in the 1100s AD, started being used in um, de describing radicals in, in science and in, in the medical field. And then eventually as the language uh, or that word expanded, we started using it to kind of talk about change in our lives or circumstances or a radical moment. And then in the 80s, uh, late 70s and early 80s, it went to the deepest of its definition where it was like, that's rad, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I kind of came up in that, that late 70s era as a, as a skateboarder, and I remember all I wanted to be was to be a part of the dog, uh, Dogtown team and uh, the Z-Boys. I'd get all the magazines and wanted to just do all the things that they could do. And here's some pictures of me and my brother when we used to skateboard and we would be on quarter pipes or half pipes and, and we would keep trying to do things that would push each other and, and we would go to where we had one wheel on and then pretty soon we're coming off and out of the, out of the ramp and all this kind of stuff. But, but we would push each other. We wanted to be more radical. But what about in faith? What is it to be a radical Christian? What is it to be a radical, what we cons uh, consider to be radical today when it comes to spirituality? Well, I first, the first thing I go to is to somebody who will stand on a street corner and, and, and preach the gospel. That's pretty radical to me. We were in Nashville for um, Christmas visiting my family, and we were all there together, and we decided to go to Franklin. And there they have a main street, and it's full of shops, and it's, it's very Christmassy, and everything was amazing. We had been there for a few hours, and it was time to go, and some guy was sitting there, and we were talking about getting a snack, and he goes, hey, I know somewhere to go. Go to this bakery. They're usually sold out by 1 o'clock, but if there's something there, I promise you, you won't want to miss it. So we start heading that way. We're walking down, and as we're getting to the street corner to where we're going to have to cross over, I hear somebody shouting. I mean, he's just, he's just shouting, and, and it sounds very angry and, and all of this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, I, I realize he's shouting things like, well, he's saying, let me just say it this way. He's, he's a, he was a pot stirrer. And what I mean by that is that he's shouting things like, Jesus hates sin, or he will say, just because you're a Catholic doesn't guarantee you go to heaven. And what he's doing is, is he's stirring this pot, and, and let me say, most of the things that he was saying might have been truth, but it wasn't being given in love. Is everybody with me? And so he's got people confronting him, he's, got, he's yelling at him, them, and he, they're yelling at him. And I walk by, and the first thought that I went through is that back in the day when John the Baptist was doing what he was doing... I'm sure a lot of people thought he was crazy as well. I don't know what he said. I don't know what he was doing. Was he a pot stirrer? Was he doing? I, all I know is that he was making the way for Jesus to come. But I know a lot of people thought he was crazy. I remember going down to the store and we're standing there and all of a sudden here comes this parent with his son. And I hear the son go, Dad, why is he, why is he shouting and getting loud about, you know, Jesus? I forgot how he said it. And the, and the dad grabs him and goes, Son, 
He goes, some Christians believe that's what they've got to do. He goes, but he's crazy. Literally just goes, he's crazy. I go back a year now, year and a half. My cousin, my cousin, first cousin, Tim Stewart, he's the lead guitarist for Lady Gaga. And he was going to be in town playing uh, with Lady Gaga in, in Washington, D.C. My wife and I are praying that Tim, who used to be a worship leader, who used to be filled with the Holy Spirit, who, who used to do everything that he, in his power with music to lead for God, is now not doing that. And any time he gets near us within miles that we can drive, we're going to go and bring the light of Jesus to him. I'm believing that Tim is going to come back. I want you to pray for Tim. Here's his picture right here. I want you to pray for Tim Stewart. He needs Jesus. We want his wife also to accept Jesus. She's Lady Gaga's best friend. If she gets saved, we're praying that she will, Lady Gaga would be saved as well. So we go up there. We're going up there just to be with him and to love on him. And we're standing outside this gate waiting for him to come out from sound check. And we're out there with, at one gate at National Stadium. And there's about 10,000 people there. All of a sudden, after Lori and I kind of get like, okay, here's where we're going to wait, I hear somebody preaching the gospel. But this guy is like Pastor Bill Sparkman. <laughs> it's calm. He's telling them how much Jesus loves them. He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about uh, the, the ability to be free from sin. He's talking about that Jesus was raised on the third day, that he's alive. He's talking about Jesus is going to return for those who love him. He's just giving them the truth. And guys, here's the thing is, not one person is yelling at him. Nobody's confronting him. Nobody's going at him. In fact, I would say a lot of them were so comfortable with his voice, they weren't even paying attention to one word he was saying. But people would consider that to be radical. 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says this, that this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Guys, this is a radical scripture. That anything, that anything that we would take to the Lord, that if it was according to his will, that we get to have that he's going to move on our behalf, anything, some people would say, I, I don't know if I believe that. We'll see in the harvest mission statement, this is what we're pursuing. This is what we believe. We are believing for radically transformed lives in Jesus. In fact, in our mission statement, it says it this way, that here at Harvest, we believe in open arms, healed hearts, and radically transformed lives. That Christ has done something so miraculous, so radical in your life, that the only answer you or we can give is God did this. That God did it. That everything that you see, everything that you've heard come out of my mouth is because of Jesus. All the glory goes to him. All power and dominion is found in him. His Holy Spirit dwells within me. So for the next three weeks, I want to take a good hard look at the idea of a radically transformed life. I want to dive deeper into what it means to be radical for God. And can I say this just right up, up from the top? When we went into this and we were going to talk about this, I don't want any of us to think that being radical is one way. What's radical to me in Christ is going to be different for you. That's why Jesus deals with us individually, Amen. And, but, we, but what we want to do, though, is move in to that with him. So here's the first thought. If we are going to pursue living a radically transformed life, 
We have to be radical about repentance. You know, when um, I've shared this before, from age seven until, well, age four, I mean, I started having memories of being at the Assembly of God, you know, little, uh, Southwest Assembly of God in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, and from starting at age seven, I would go to these church camps. They still do them. You know, they still have them. And, and, and in Arkansas, they would do it at Hot Springs, Arkansas. And um, first time I went at seven years old, I had a blast. And here, here's what happens. You get 500, 600 students from the entire state that come to this camp, and you are surrounded by godly counselors. You've got um, sports, you've got games, they do all kinds of crazy things with you. You go swimming, you go canoeing, you do all this. You, you come into services and they, they bring some of the best youth speakers in the nation come and they speak to you all week. And, and at the end of the night, there's a concession stand where you can get all the nachos and Cokes and hot dogs and burgers, everything that you want. But the thing that I began to look forward to from age 7 to 18 was the altar time. And let me tell you why. There was an agenda with me. And that was, I knew that that was the place where I could go down and repent for the things that I had done for the whole year to that camp. You see, from age 12 until I was 19 years old, I really was not with God, especially through high school and going into my first year of college. I was, I was running from God. And so when I would go to camp, I couldn't wait to hit the altar because I knew I needed to repent. And I would repent, I would repent, I would weep, I would cry my eyes out, I would give my life to the Lord, and then I would go home, and on Monday, get right back with my friends, and it was like it never happened. Here's the thought. I'm repenting, but I'm not changing. I wanted to be free from my shame and guilt, but there was no evidence of change in my life. I don't know what is that what we battle with or what you battle with today, whether it's maybe, maybe you have a problem with lying. You, you stretch truth. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it, it's dealing with, with alcohol or porn or sex or money or you have a shopping addictive behavior. Whatever that looks like, what it is is that if we are not in a place to where we want to see this change... We have to be very careful, church, that we are not living on a doctrine that says once saved, always saved. Man, if that's the truth, Jesus did not need to come and die on the cross for us. This is about relationship. This is about, don't you know that God understands that if I do something wrong and I repent and the next day I do it again and I repent and the next day I do, that don't you know that God knows that there is no change in our heart? It's not happening. In the Old Testament, man, they would throw up dust and they would throw up ash and they would rip and rend their garments. And God's saying in the New Testament, what we get is knock that nonsense off. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want, I want you to really be sorry. I want you to desire change. And that's exactly what happened to me. I went and saw my youth pastor in Fort Worth, Texas, and I gave my heart to the Lord. And I had a two-year raw walk back with God. Where I would, I would say, I'm not going to do this again, and, and I would do it, and, and, and then I would repent. And guys, here's what I found. Five days later, I might slip, and then I would repent. All of a sudden, I noticed I went three months. I would repent. All of a sudden, I'm over a year 
And if I had a slip, I would repent. And God, if you didn't know, only God could do it. I was able to break that, live a life that showed that I repented, and that there was something changed about me. You see, the first thing I asked God to do was take away my foul language. And he did it. That was miraculous. It didn't matter how mad I got, how angry I got. There would not be a swear word coming out of my mouth. But in my struggle, the devil knew where to push my buttons. But because I repented, because I wanted this to change, because I wanted this thing to not have power over me anymore, I gave it to God, and I walked it out with him from a repentant heart. Amen? Guys, look at this. Here's the way to look at this. That thing is no longer the driving force in your life. God is. He is the driving force in your life. Unfortunately, you know, being passionate about repentance is not for everyone. There's been such a drastic change in the recent years, especially among believers. They want Jesus as Savior, but at the same time, they ignore him as Lord. They like Jesus, the teacher, but they don't recognize him as the only way to God. They want the surety of heaven, but will not fully commit their lives to Jesus. Guys, I have done hundreds of funerals since 1988. And I will tell you, what has changed in the last 10 years of the funerals that I have gone to is, you can walk into a room of a funeral where there is not a drop of hope, but they all believe that that person is going to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven. And I just want you to know that that is a lie. It is not truth. And that we need to wake up to this and understand that we have to come from a place of repentance and living a life that is worthy of the name of Jesus. Radical repentance is submission. It's obedience. It's growing in your relationship with Christ. And the question is, is are we growing? Are we seeing that Jesus is affecting our lives? Is there significant change that is obvious when people, when you walk into their presence, people go, dude, something's different about you. I am in no way saying that I am or that you are perfect when you come to Jesus. Romans 3.23 makes it very clear that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, true repentance, like all good things, is a gift of God. In 2 Timothy, he's writing a letter to Timothy, Paul is. And Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 23. He says, stay away from all the foolish arguments of the immature, for these disputes will only generate more conflict. For a true servant of our Lord Jesus will not be argumentative, but gentle toward all and skilled in helping others see the truth. Then with meekness, you will be able to carefully enlighten those who argue with you so that they can see God's gracious, what's it say? Gift of repentance, amen? And to be brought to truth. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, that gift of repentance to me back in 1985 that gift of repentance, although it took me a little while to really gain the momentum of it, what I was learning was is that I don't have to be the old Matt Stewart anymore. I can be the new Matt. I can be the Matt that is governed by the things of God and not by what the world says. 
And there was a, this was radical repentance to me. And this leads me to my second thought, that if we are going to pursue living a radically transformed life, we have to be radical about his name and his word. Radical about repentance, radical about his name and his word. The psalmist writes in 138, 1 and 2, he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things, what's it say, church? Your name and your word. You see, you can't have his name without his word. Because we know that Jesus is the word. Amen? So it's, Jesus, it's, it's his name and his word. Um, I, I don't know if you guys, are, you know, see that or if you're feeling that, but, th- but the psalmist puts it there for us to see. We have to have them both. God is exalted above all things, his name and his word. Acts 4, 11 through 12 says this, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is Jesus. This is in his name. Jesus is Savior. He is Redeemer. He is bread of life. He is the Lord. He is Creator. He is the Son of the living God. He is the only begotten Son. He is the beloved Son. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the King of kings. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the head of the church. He is the Almighty. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the Master. He is the King of the Jews. He is High Priest, Prophet, Teacher, Emmanuel, Advocate, Mediator. He is the Chief Cornerstone. He is the Author and Finisher of our faith. He is the Word. He is the Fountain of Living Waters. He is the Rock. He is the Messiah. He is Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the Branch, the True Vine, the Bridegroom, the Dayspring. He is I Am. He is the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Bride and Morning Star, King of Israel. He is Christ and He is God. This is Jesus. That's in his name. You know, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. Every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's in his name. To be radical about his name. John 1.1, 1, 1, we understand that this is where it comes from. We read this where it talks about him being the word. It says that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Because church, the word is Jesus. In Harvest, we have to start becoming more radical about God's word, more intentional. I would say it this way. we got to desire more to take that word, that whether it's on your phone or in your book, and you get it in here. 
you're eating it, you're drinking it, you are, you are meditating on it, you are going to sleep with it, you are waking up with it, but that you're desiring more of his word, being a man or woman of God who is passionate about reading his word. A few months ago, um, I, I, I was doing a study, we were doing a study, and I talked a little bit about Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> And I want to go back to it because I think it's going to sink in a little bit more with what we're talking about, being radical for his word. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, that all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Now, you have to understand, there's no New Testament. Jesus has not come yet, but they have the word of God. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen and amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, can you imagine this happening, what we've just read? Because here's what's happened, is that Ezra has walked out, he's come up on this platform, and it says in the word that all he did was that he opened the word. Now, I know back in that time it would have been a scroll or, you know, something like that, but we're going to do this for 2024, okay? He, he just opened the word. It says in Scripture he hasn't even said a word yet. All he did was come out and he just opened the word. And then as soon as he did this, people started standing up. They started raising their hands. They started shouting praises to God. Praise you, Father God. Thank you, Elohim. Thank you, Jehovah. And began to shout, amen and amen. Just because he opened the word. And then it says that they went down on their knees and bowed their faces to the Lord and praised him. I can't help but think of what that would have looked like to open the word of God. And that the opening of the book would cause such a radical response to him. They were so passionate about hearing and reading God's word. And this is what I'm believing for Harvest in 2024. That we are going to be men and women who are ready for God's word. We are talking about radically transformed lives. We are talking about a life that has truly repented, a life that knows his name and his word. If somebody who is passionately pursuing Christ and they have been radically affected by his touch and his calling, if this is you and your life has been radically changed by Jesus and you walked into my circle and I didn't know Jesus, I would immediately know that something was different about you, that God has had a deep impact on your life, so much so that anybody that would come in contact with you would know that you have experienced a radical touch of God. And this leads me to my third and final thought, and I want to have the worship team come on up. 
And the thought is this, that if we are going to pursue living a radically transformed life, you have to be radical about your experience. Radical about repentance, radical about his name and his word, but you also need to become radical about your experience with Christ. Now, let me say this again. What I consider to be radical for me is going to be different with you. What seems radical, it's going to, you're going to think it's there, but my radical pursuit of Christ isn't any better than somebody else's radical pursuit. Listen, I love Jesus, but so does my wife. I love Jesus, you love Jesus too, but it doesn't make any of us better than anybody else. If we're truly in our heart radically going after him, you're going to experience something that oh, the only answer could be is that God did it. God did this. I love it. And everybody's experience is going to be different because Jesus meets us all one-on-one. His miracle of salvation and calling is specific to each of us as individuals. I talked a little bit this morning about my daughter, Skye. You know, I, I think there's three generations of this that have happened. I really think about this a lot. I know that from a, a very young age, my mother-in-law made a decision to follow Christ, and she never wavered. I know the same was with my wife, Lori, that even when I started dating her, she was the first Christian girl I'd ever dated, ever. I didn't want to mess it up. And so, you know what I mean? It's like, she, I thought she'd call down lightning on me or something, you know what I mean? But, I, but, I, but, but, but then my daughter does the same thing. And I'll, I'll never forget it because, you know, you're talking about getting saved at five, getting baptized at eight, and then for the rest of her life, Skye never looked to the left or to the right. And that decision, she wasn't standing on a soapbox. None of, no, none of the three, none of these women, of godly women in my life, stood on soapboxes and yelled through microphones or megaphones and things like that. They literally just chose at a young age to serve the rest of their days for Jesus. That's radical. Is everybody with me? And, and, and here's the thing, that because of my daughter's choices... She had some pain because of it. She didn't get invited to things because they knew that she wouldn't party or drink or have sex or watch bad movies or whatever it was. She, she had made this decision, and so she went through some pain. But in the end, in the end, you see a life that was well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Radical. A radical faith is, is, I would say this, well, Pastor Matt, how would you define radical faith? Well, check this out. This is what I would say. It is a consistent time of growing, living, and pursuing Jesus. And it can start at any time. doesn't matter if you're 40. doesn't matter if you're 60. That when you choose, I want to live the rest of my days consistently pursuing him, that's a radical faith. It's an amazing faith. And because you're doing that, people are going to notice the change. Ephesians 4, I'm going to bring it to a close. We're going to be in this this chapter for the next three weeks. But Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17. So with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say, you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Doesn't this sound like the world we're living in right now? Even in the political realm? Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, 
sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life, for we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. I love that part where it says that the way of, of life that Christ has unfolded, that it's unfolded, like the Word of God when we open it, it's unfolded in us. When my son, Chase, played soccer, well, I don't know if he really played. <laughs> we, seven years old, we bought this. Year 2000. And the, and the incredible thing about this is, is it's a chair, but until it's unfolded, it's no good. Is everybody with me? But check out the surprise in this. When you unfold it, it's actually for two people. Come on, man. Come on. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> we would actually have our kids even sit in the middle here so it could be for four people. People could come in and go, I don't have anywhere to put my purse or my, or my jacket, and, and they could throw it on the inside. But once it's in, unfolded, it's useful not just to me, but to others as well. And what the scripture is saying, that because of what you experienced in him, he is going to be unfolded so that you can have impact on others because you embody the presence of Jesus himself. Christ unfolded. It will be seen in your life because of the reality in Christ. If you are engaged in a radical pursuit of God, if you are on a radical pursuit of His Spirit, I want to say this to every person. Nobody could ever talk you out of following Jesus. Nobody. Because you have experienced the love the hope, the truth, the joy that you found in him. By, be strengthened by this. Be encouraged by this truth. Church, you have been forgiven. You have been set free. You have been given a purpose. And it all came through Jesus. His name is Yeshua. He is Jesus. He is God's revelation to us. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator of the world. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is God. He is Adonai. He is worshiped by angels. His rule will never end. He has destroyed the power of death, and he has delivered us from the bondage of sin and fear. He is merciful. He has never sinned. He appears to God for our behalf. He will return again. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His name is Jesus. It's time to take hold of these promises to radically pursue the anointed one. And let, let me just give this to you. This is what I'm believing. This is what I'm taking to the staff. This is what I've been praying. And in, in, my, in my fast, it's become even more evident. This is going to be a year of great awakening for harvest. It's going to be a great pursuit of the miracles. We're going to start writing them down. We want to know if you have a miracle in your life, you let the church know because we're going to start writing these down. Because at the end of the year, we are going to celebrate the, the, the miracles of our Lord, amen? Because he is a miracle-working God. Uh, let, let me ask these questions. Let's just close our eyes real quickly. Nobody looking around. Just let this be, be between you and God. If your anxiety and depression could be taken away right here, right now, 
Isn't that worth raising your hands in praise? If your sons, your daughters, your cousins, your husband and wife, your mom and dad, if your family came back to Jesus, isn't that worth an amen and a shout of praise? The very fact that Jesus is going to return for us one day, isn't that worth a bended knee, a bowed head, and proclaiming worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb? Father, we bow our heads before you because we need you to help us to be radical about repentance, to be radical about your name and your word, to be radical about our experience with you because, Lord, I believe you're going to use us to share it. God, guys, you guys look at me just for a second. This is what I'm praying for every person in this room. I don't care if you're in high school, junior high, college, you're just living life. Whatever you are in the, whatever chapter, this is what I'm believing for this year. That as you radically pursue Jesus, that he's going to use you to tell one person about his love. One person. Can you imagine the shift at this church if we all led one person to Jesus? Pastor Matt, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. We talk about this all the time. It starts with a text. It starts with an email. It starts with a coffee, and you're just sitting there, and pretty soon they're going to open up to you, and they're going to go, I just need what you have. What is different about you? These are my problems. What can I do? And then you start sharing your story, your experience, and we're going to lead people to Jesus. Amen? I'm believing this. I'm believing this, and this is going to be up to you to radically pursue it, that God will send you one person this year, one person, one and tell them about Jesus. Can I get an amen? Let's all stand together. Praise the Lord. We're going to worship here in a second. And uh, this is what I want to do. I would say this. Let's, let's don't even hesitate with this. If you are here this morning and you say, Pastor Matt, there are some things that I know I need to repent of. There's no question. There's no question. I don't need to know the details. God already knows. But you need to make it right. If that's you, as soon as we start worshiping, I want you to come down and find a place. You just all by yourself, just worship and just repent to the Lord. There's some of you that are sitting here and say, Pastor Matt, I want to get deeper into God's word. I want to start really believing in the name of Jesus, the power that's behind it. And if that's you, I want you to find a place to come down here and just spend time with him. And then lastly, some of you are going to come down here today and say, God, I want you to use me to share my experience with somebody else. And if that's you, as soon as we start singing, let's just move. Come on, guys. Let's leave and worship. Here we go. So, guys, let's come down to the altar. Find your place. God is here, and he will meet you. Amen.
you sing it. I give myself to you. Come on, you got it. Sing it. My life is not my own. My life is not my own. To you I belong. To you I belong. Come on, I give myself. I give myself. I give myself to you. Come on, let's sing it again. My life is not my own. church. Sing it out. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. But it's all about you. It's all about you. Come on, you sing it. Sing I'm coming back lift our hands together all through here if you're comfortable with it. Father God, we lift our hands.